Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hi, everyone. I'm Carol. And I'm David. Are you ready to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny? Well, you've come to the right place because that's what the sexy lifestyle is all about. And you know that David and I are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be. We sure are. And you know, we love talking about sex and sexuality, sexual pleasure, communication, consent, respect, and relationships. And hope our discussions open up your dialogue about great sex because... Well, great sex matters and we all deserve it. We sure do, especially now with COVID going all over the place. But um, we want to ask you if you consider yourself to be sexually savvy when it comes to understanding and respecting all the aspects of the LGBTQI community, or perhaps you need a little refresher course to review some of the nuances. Well, on today's show, we're going to get down and dirty and talk about some of those naughty sexual practices such as queer sex, anal sex, fisting, pegging, sex without orgasms, from mismatched libidos to redefining sex, we're going to get into all the nitty gritty details right here. Can I just sit back and listen to you two girls talk Ooh, about this? This that, is going to be a good show. Uh-huh. But before we get into the show, you know, we always want to talk about our top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex. And Nobody wants to sleep in that wet spot, but if you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need one of our top waterproof blankets. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, you just have to throw it in the washer and dryer, and it comes out looking like brand new. And you don't have to leave the house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search top waterproof blanket that's t-o-p waterproof blanket great sex starts now it sure does and so does today's show you know we're carol and david this is the sexy lifestyle and we are so excited to welcome today's amazing guest we have sex journalist gabriel cassell who spends a lot of time advising and guiding people about healthy sexuality including topics like libido bisexuality queer sex orgasms anal sex fisting and a whole lot more. Is there any more? Oh, yeah. Lots There's more. still more. <laughs> well, I'm sure we're going to find out about it today. Gabrielle, thank you so much. Welcome to the Sexy Lifestyle. And I know you're a busy woman. You do lots of writing. And we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to be here today. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yay. And I know there's been lots of changes in everybody's life since COVID 19's been around. Tell us a little bit about how your world has been altered ever since March. Gosh, you know what? I feel so lucky. I've been working from home for the last four years. So my work life actually has not changed very much at all. I still wake up every morning, crawl over to my computer and spend the day at my desk without any other human interaction except for when I do the occasional podcast episode. But I was actually supposed to move from New York City to Oregon on April 1st of this year. And a week before the move happened, all of the COVID numbers were spiking. And I was like, oh, shit this may not be the right time for me to move across country where I know nobody and try to make friends. So I actually postponed that move. And since March, I've been bopping all around New England. So I think my living situation has been totally bananas as a result of of COVID-19. And are you in a relationship now? I am now. I was in a relationship at the beginning of COVID. That relationship ended. 
I think it probably lasted longer than maybe it would have had COVID <laughs> not started because we were both so um, the comfort of being with somebody who you at least knew mm-hmm. was helpful at the beginning of the pandemic. But I'm now single. I'm now dating and I'm using the dating apps. And I will say that COVID has definitely changed what being a single person looks like. Um, the way that I describe it is that going on a date and trying to establish intimacy with a person when you can't see their mouth and you have no idea what their teeth looks like is a wild experience. <laughs> you know, I, I you know you go on. I, I said that the other day when I went to the store. I'm a very gregarious person. I like looking at people, smiling at people. And with everybody wearing masks, it takes a little bit of that social interaction away. And um, Well, you don't I, get to see that smile. You, you don't. And, and I guess people don't see me flirting with them because, you know, I'm all, we're always <laughs> They're trying They're wondering, to what's up, this weird guy yeah, doing? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they don't see your giant smile. But, I mean, Gabrielle, I, I, it, it's got to be tough for single people out there meeting people, let alone having sex with them. Right, right. I mean, even establishing sexual chemistry or tension with someone when you can't see them bite their lip or lick their lips or smirk or do other sexy gesticulations with their mouth, it's really difficult. So what I've been doing is, okay, we have a good first date, we'll go on another masked second date. And then maybe by the third or fourth date, if if I'm feeling good about it, We'll, we'll actually get tested for each other. Oh, good. Um, COVID tested. Yes. <laughs> and then if that looks good and that feels good and the kissing is a good fit, then from there we'll talk about getting STI tested and taking, sure. that, taking that relationship to the next step. And wow. has, has your um, sexual orgasmic um, time or things or amount that you, you're having sex, has that changed over COVID? Are you masturbating more? I know you're a sex toy fanatic. You've done over 200 reviews on vibrators, and we can talk about that later in Great Sex Matters. But have you been taking care of yourself? That's a good question. You know what? I, I say that there's folks who fall in the two camps when it comes to sex and stress. Those who use sex to de-stress and then those who need to de-stress prior to having mm-hmm. sex. And I am definitely in the latter camp. I need to de-stress before I have sex, even if it's solo sex. And I got to say, my stress levels have been really high since the pandemic started. And so my self-care or solo sex practice have definitely been less involved than they normally are. So that means you're going to have to pick it up a little bit, take your more baths, more hot showers, whatever it might be, but you need to de-stress. It's not good for your health. I know. I just uh, I just signed up for a month-long online yoga trial. So there hopefully the yoga helps my flexibility and my libido. Yeah, exactly. All right, we're going to talk more about Gabriel's sex life a little bit later in Great Sex Matters, but let's get back to how you got into becoming a sex journalist. Yeah, it's a good question. So in college, I majored in queer studies and English, very much a liberal arts degree. So in school and in academic setting, I was frequently writing about queer sex. So when I came into the quote unquote real world and I entered the world of journalism, I was hoping to also talk about queer issues. But at the time, I conceptualized that as being, um, I'm in a queer relationship, what does it look like to have a family? Or I think I might be gay, how do I know? Or what it's like to kiss another girl for the first time. Slowly though, those topics started going from PG to PG-13. And then one day I was tasked with the assignment of how to have sex with another woman or another vulva owner for the first time. And I just loved it. The feedback I got on that piece 
was so much more complimentary from random readers than it had been for any piece before. And I thought this this is a place in the industry where I can actually make a difference. Wow, that is a great story. So I think this is a really good segue to, to actually talk about what is the definition of queer? Because we are going to be talking about queer and queer sex. So tell us, so everybody is very clear what we're talking about. Sure, sure. So I will say that everybody for any identity term is going to have their own definition. Typically, I describe queer as anything that is not the norm. So if we as society describe the norm as cisgender and heterosexual, queer could be any word that or anything, any identity that means not cisgender, meaning trans or non-binary, or not heterosexual, meaning bisexual, or homosexual, lesbian, gay, pansexual, any of these sort of other sexualities. So when I talk about queer, basically what I'm saying is I'm not talking specifically to cisgender, heterosexual folks in straight relationships. And basically you're talking to everybody else. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that's a really good way to put it. So we're very clear when we continue our discussions on this. So what really was your favorite article? I know you just described the one that you started with that gave you the most interest and that really got you going in this whole uh, avenue. But what was your favorite article that you've written? And, And tell us about it and why. Sure. So it's interesting. You know, I have articles that from a writing craft perspective, I'm really proud of. So I recently wrote a piece for Well and Good about how secret Facebook pages are filling the gaps that our sex education systems, the sex ed kids did or did not receive, yikes, in school, how those Facebook pages are helping folks answer questions about sex and sexual health and STIs that they might not have answered other way. But I'm actually most proud of, from a utility standpoint, the articles that I had to work really hard in order to be able to write. So when I first entered the industry, say 2016, 2017, I would pitch topics, pitching means sending, saying to an editor, hey, do you mind if I write this and you give me some money for it? <laughs> I would say to them, you know, can I write about anal fingering or can I write about fisting, scissoring, strap-on play? And 2016, 2017, time and time again, editors were like, nope, we just um, – too risky for us, our advertisers won't be happy. Earlier this year in 2019 and 2020, I went back through the pitches that I had sent in 2016 and 2017 and resent the exact same article ideas and started to get them accepted. So I'm really proud of the fact that the industry has moved in in a direction that now those articles are existing and now folks who are interested in those sex acts now, thanks to me and the other writers who are writing on them, have information that allows them to do those sex acts as pleasurably and as safe as possible. You know what's very cool about what you said? So our show's been on the air for almost four years now. And at the beginning, we struggled. And our show's uncensored. And we talk about anything related to sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, health. And we now have over 1.1 million listeners in 69 countries. And um, like what you're saying, um, over the last four years, um, people have wanted to know more. A lot, people want to know what they don't know. Um, for sure, movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and uh, mm-hmm. Games of Thrones and um, all those shows on TV, Sex Education on Netflix, which um, mm. targets um, you Never. know the high school and teenager um, groups, um, 
have made it okay to talk about sex and to open up an article and to read about it. And I'm so proud of everybody like yourself. We've had Gigi Engel on our show and all mm. those those trailblazers who stuck with it over the years and kept writing and kept putting it out. And now you see it in all uh, regular publications where, you know, it might not be as graphic as our show where we <laughs> talk about cocks and pussies, but you're really getting the message across that, Anything is good for a person who's in a relationship or who's doing something to themselves that's okay for them. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Right. And it's individual. Yeah. And so do you feel that there's less taboo out there in general? Is that what you're getting from what you've learned from all these things? I think having information, even one or two or three articles on the web around how to do sex acts safely and pleasurably is a first step. I don't think it is the be all and end all to ending taboos around certain sex acts. I think ultimately that has to start with people at a much younger age, um, including in the classroom at their schools when talking about sex education, including the quote unquote birds and the bees talk that parents and guardians have with their children. Um, I don't think one or two or three articles alone is enough to cut through that taboo. I think the entire way that we as a society, as a world, as parents, as kids, as teachers talk about sex has to change in order for certain sex acts not to be taboo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we we live it every day. We're swingers. We've been swingers for 13 years now. And, you know, we live in a world where we have consensual sex with other people. We're in an emotionally monogamous relationship, but we'd like to fuck other Mm -hmm. people. And we do it as a mm-hmm. couple. We do it to strengthen our relationship. And we're looked down upon. Right. Wh- and why? You know, yeah. it's just a choice that we made. And I mean, as time goes on, the um, alternative lifestyles and people who identify as more open-minded is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it doesn't mean you mm-hmm. have to fuck another person. But you can have sex in a room with other people having sex. You can be a voyeur. You can be an exhibitionist. Um, but it's getting larger and larger. And it's nice to see that in our world. Um, and I'm sure you're seeing that in um, the world of the, the younger people coming up. We see it at Young Swingers Week where there's more and more people mm-hmm. who are exploring their sexuality, whatever's good for them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you get this in your world as much as I get this in mine, that as much pushback as there is from trolls and non-kind-minded folks is even more positive reinforcement and thank you messages from people who are so grateful to have people to look up to who identify the way that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And all of these types of podcasts and information that's out there, every little bit, every little step helps push that whole movement forward to being open-minded and non-judgmental as much as we can as human beings. You know, everybody does judge, obviously, but not in a malicious way or something that's going to hold somebody down in any way. Mm -hmm. And we can hear it in your voice that you're so passionate about sex education. Tell us how and and when this started. I think from the beginning, you know, I knew from 16 on that I was a queer person who was interested in other women. And I hadn't learned in school how to have sex with other women. And so when I wanted to have sex with my girlfriend at the time, my girlfriend in high school, we had to do so much negotiating between the two of us. And even 
be so creative to think about what sex between the two of us was going to look like. And really at the time, you know, there wasn't resources for us to draw on. And there's something really alienating about that, like to be 16 and wanting to engage and have pleasure with your partner and really not like knowing where your hands are going to go and what your mouth should do. And to now be able to offer that to younger queer folks feels really important to me. You know, I'm, I'm happy that so many folks who are coming out later in life are finding my work. But when I think about who I am doing the work for, it's really for the kids in high school, the kids in middle school who know that they are not straight or they know that they're queer or might be queer and need information about what that's going to look like for them and, and really need validation that pleasure is at their fingertips and something that is accessible to them, even if they haven't explicitly been told it before. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, again, I'm going to get back to the swinger world and we see people who are just so comfortable with being who they are. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in the, the swinger community, um, you hear a lot about uh, women being bicurious or bisexual. And, you know, you don't have to be. You can just be what you want to be. Carol, what are you? Uh, bisituational, bifriendly. Uh, there's lots mm-hmm. of different, you know, I guess they're labels again. But Sometimes you're bi-selfish. Yes, bi-selfish. What, what, <laughs> whatever works that day is fine with me, but I don't consider myself bisexual. Not the same way other people mm. who, are, who are seeking both men and women. I'm not seeking that myself. Of course, I'm seeking a good cock. But if I happen to be in a situation where there's a wonderful woman who's taking care of me or I'm taking care of her and it feels right, mm-hmm. that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine with me. Yeah. Mm. And we don't like labels because... People can be what they want to be. So, you know, we don't talk about, you know, are, are you bisexual? We just talk about, so do you want to play with them? Do you, does, is she attractive? Is he attractive? And what's very cool, and we're seeing it more and more, is that men are becoming more and more comfortable saying in a swinging situation, they're good playing with other men. We're not talking mm. about them playing man on man uh, one-on-one. I mean, if they want to, they can. And it doesn't mean they're gay or homosexual. It just means that at that moment, they feel good playing with another cock. And uh, we, mm-hmm. we, we see it more and more with the younger couples coming up in the lifestyle. Are you seeing that in the, um, we'll call it the couple world? Or the general population. The general population where bisexuality or people who want to play with same sex or uh, multiple multi-sex is becoming more um, public out there. More acceptable. Yeah, acceptable, good word. Um, I think it's a good question. I mean, I think the fact that we are seeing bisexual representation in TV, like think Shit's Creek, for example, oh, like yeah. one of the main characters is bi, yeah. and we're seeing so much more bisexual representation and advocacy on Instagram and Twitter and even Facebook. I think having faces that you can look to and think, that person is out and bisexual and look how happy they are or look, they are in love or they have the capacity to be love and love other folks is really helpful for folks who are coming into their own identity. Um, you mentioned that you don't like labels. I think labels are interesting because on one hand, they're incredibly, they can be incredibly helpful because they're a way of pointing to a word and a definition and thinking, yeah. oh, that, that's me. And, and look how normal I am. And there are other folks like me. And also, that word can then be used to form community. So for me, like queer community, the bisexual community is such a powerful way of me making friends. And then also on the flip side, labels can feel really restrictive to some folks. When I, when I ideate about labels, I always like to say, when you pick a label, 
You're not making a promise mm -hmm. to identify with that label tomorrow or the next week or the next month. You're just on a pit stop on the long journey of right. life. And mm -hmm. there may be other label pit stops along the way. Love I think it can be sort of more binding. Me, myself, for example, I now identify as bisexual. But when I first came out, I identified as lesbian. And does that mean that when I first came out as lesbian, I was lying? Of course not. It just means that my sexuality has since evolved and I've since found a new word that I can point to and go, oh, that's me. That's me. Exactly. I like that. And like you said, when I say I'm not bisexual, but I am, I'm not bicurious because I know exactly what I'm into, but I'm um, bisituational. Hmm. That label does describe the situation. And you're right. It does feel good to be able to explain that to somebody so that they don't have expectations that that will be disappointing. But it's also good that you can mm. make the choice to change, like Gabrielle was saying, when you want yeah. and evolve yeah. and go forward and go backwards and go sideways and not be judged by your choices. Right, exactly. Wow, this is all such amazing stuff. Listen, we're just going to take a quick break here and remind everybody that this is The Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carolyn David, and we're talking with Gabriel Cassell all about sex and wellness. So we'll, we'll be right back after this. So, you know, people have been asking us, what's changed after four years of doing the podcast? Well, a lot has. But to be honest, the orgasm gap still remains a challenge for many couples. You know what I'm talking about. Men tend to finish before their female partners. You've heard us talk about Promescent for years. Their urologist-developed FDA-compliant delay spray can help men last up to 64% longer without loss of sensation. And it's great because promescent is quickly absorbed into the penis and it doesn't transfer to your partner. And speaking of your partner, I think we can all agree that sometimes women, even when alone, still have challenges around reaching orgasm. So now, promescent has created a female arousal gel. I love it. It's a clitoral stimulant that she can rub into her clitoris for increased pleasure and a lot more satisfaction during pretty much any type of sexual activity that you can think of. Absolutely. So now they've got promescent delay spray for him and arousal gel for her. So basically, they're closing the orgasm gap on both sides. And remember to check out their amazing lubes as well. Yeah, trust us. Try these amazing products and you'll thank us later. Seriously, just write to us at ask at and tell us how it went. So try Promescent today. Just go to the website www.promescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Yeah, and now, and especially for a limited time, if you enter Sexy Lifestyle 15, you'll get 15% off every order. And remember, tell your friends too, that's Sexy Lifestyle 15 for 15% off. All right, we're back. You know, we're Carol and David. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. And let's get back to our program with sex journalist Gabriel Cassell as we get into more explicit discussion about naughty and sometimes taboo sex and sex activities. So you've written so many great articles, Gabriel, and I know some of them we've never actually discussed on the show ever before. Like, for example, but we've fist tried some of them. Oh, yeah. Like fisting. I don't think we've ever had an expert who knows about fisting, who can talk about it and can give some tips and tricks. So we're going to let you start. Explain what it is, how it feels, how you do it, tips and tricks about how not to do it. And all our listeners are just sitting on the edge of their seats right now. Amazing. Amazing. So I love talking about fisting. Fisting is, as I like to describe it, five finger fingering. So we know what vaginal fingering is. We know what anal fingering is. And we know why those things can feel pleasurable, right? Fingering allows us to target the internal hot spots of a vagina, like the G spot or the A spot, which is a little deeper back 
or in terms of the anus, the prostate, if a person has one, or the G-spot in the case that this person doesn't, they have a vagina. Five-finger fingering or fisting allows you to target those internal hot spots while also providing a feeling of fullness. You think about sort of the, the thickness of a hand, it makes sense that that feeling of fullness could feel good. Now, quick quick note about fisting. The word itself can be a little bit confusing because it can make you think of the shape your hand makes when you're about to punch somebody. That's actually not how your hand looks when you fist somebody, or at least not to start. Instead, your hand looks something like a duck beak. I've also heard it described as Italian gesticulation hands. (laughs) That's a good one. So rather than putting all your hands together like a fist, like you're about to go in a street fight, you'll slide in all of your fingers sort of one at a time, slowly easing into it the way you would any other penetrative sex act. What about lube? Mm -hmm. Ah, lube, definitely important. Um, Lube for any hole, whether that hole is self-lubricating like the vagina is a must or not self-lubricating like the anus is a must. Mm -hmm. So as a reminder, the anus does not self-lubricate. That means that there is no natural lubrication that's going to be produced when you penetrate it. So you need to add that lubrication. In terms of the vagina, some lubrication may be produced naturally. But when it comes to fisting, I like to say there's no such thing as too much lube. So go ahead and add that lube. It will make the sensation more pleasurable for the receiver as well as more comfortable for the giver. So, Han, why don't you tell us about your fisting experience? Yeah, I actually had a really wonderful fisting experience when we first started in the lifestyle. So I'm going to say it's over 10 years ago where it was um, a woman friend of ours. And I was just relaxing on the couch after a nice fuck session. I had I tapped out. I'm sitting there relaxing. And she kind of came over and started playing with my pussy a little bit. And she had taken off her wedding ring before. And I had never even heard of fisting. I didn't know anything about it. And so she just started playing with my pussy and slowly putting in like that duck bill, you know, formation of her fingers, like Mm -hmm. you said, where all your fingers are sort Mm -hmm. of tied in together and started pushing in and out and slowly and, and going a little bit further each time and coming out in a little bit further again. And then I guess it relaxes the vaginal muscles so that it actually can take the knuckle part and it can, and she went a little bit deeper and deeper. And then I was just like, in heaven because I love that fullness. I love a big giant cock pounding me. So for me, the fullness was amazing. And when I looked down, because I had like just been enjoying it, not even looking, where her whole fist and her wrist, uh, like halfway up her arm is inside my pussy. The visual was like a a little bit shocking. I got to say, it's like, oh my God, is that like, it was feeling so good. I didn't really know that she had put her whole hand inside my vagina. I just didn't know. Did you have a little squirt? Oh my God. Yes. Massive orgasm, massive squirting and then she did clench into a fist inside Mm. and started turning gently and all of this was done gradually I don't know how long because I was in in heaven I don't know how long the whole process took but it was really 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 amazing and just for folks who don't know the reason that curling the fingers down and into a fist and the turning sensation can feel so good is that the knuckles then are able to massage the walls of the vaginal canal and that's where a lot of the the nerves inside the vagina are so i'm not surprised that that felt good and yes to your comment about looking down and being like wow like that's inside of me it can be overwhelming but it's also in my opinion one of the most intimate things to just to see yourself 
consuming another person's hand yeah, in that yeah, way. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of women do it because their hands are smaller. I don't know of any men who actually do the fisting. I only know women who, who do it. So um, just can imagine that much more if it's a man doing it because their hands are significantly I can, bigger. I can try. You can try, sure. We have lots of lube. And it's about going slowly and allowing, I think, the vagina to open up because we knew we know it does open. Obviously, it opens to let a baby mm-hmm. out, right? It opens quite large. Mm-hmm. But you have to get there. It doesn't just happen over, over overnight or in five minutes. You do have to get there and slowly do it. So, Gabriel, have you um, had it done to you? Do you remember the first time? I have. It's happened to me twice. And it's something I hope in my future I will get to experience more than that. Um, But actually, I was menstruating. And I know a lot of folks are anti-period sex. I personally love it. I find I'm horniest on my period. Mm -hmm. And the first time, I, I didn't have a tampon in, no pad. I was with somebody who I really loved and really trusted. And, you know, I just kept saying more, more. And then all of a sudden, we were five fingers more. Wow. And, and she was inside of me. It, wow. was, it was one of the most intimate experiences. And I will say, you know, one of the questions I get in my DMs, I run a sex education Instagram, so often folks will DM me their sex ed questions, is will this ruin my vagina? If I try vaginal fisting, will it ruin my vagina? No, it will not ruin your vagina. The vaginal tissues are designed to stretch out in that way. They will go back to normal. My vagina was not in any way negatively altered or shifted as a result of that really pleasurable experience. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's amazing. So it's never actually had. I've never actually had the opportunity since then. Well, we've gotten four fingers. Oh yeah, I mean, I can do that to myself, and I do actually regularly. And get four fingers in. I'm not talking about going the whole hand mm-hmm. all the way to the wrist, but yes, I definitely do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You want to talk about the two cocks you put in your pussy? <laughs> Well, that was fun also. But again, it's about that fullness, and that's what I like the best. Yeah, we'll do that on another mm. show. Let's talk about anal sex. Okay. So I, not that we have to get into anal fisting, but let's just start by talking about the stigma around anal sex, where it comes from, and how we can help you know, get rid of that. I think the place the stigma comes from is the ass is where we poop. Yeah. And so any stigma around anal is the fact that you want to put something in there. a hole that you're used to having stuff come out of. Yeah. So I think when we talk about, you know, anal sex and the stigma around it, there's a lot of fear around poop. The thing is, what people don't understand is anatomically, the anal canal, which is where, say, a finger or a cock or a dildo is going to go in during anal sex, that is not where the poop is stored. Right. The poop is stored higher up in the body in the colon. And in order for the poop to pass from the colon past the anal sphincter, into the anal canal, and then out your butthole, there's going to be a trigger in the brain that tells you, I have to poop. I'm sure we've all had that before after, say, a cup of coffee in the morning. When you know you have to poop, you you get your body lets you exactly. know. And so what I like to remind folks, you're like, yes, there is a stigma around sort of putting things in where poop can come out. But poop is not always going to or necessarily going to or really ever going to come out when you're having anal sex because you will get that sort of body reminder before you before you execute. And if someone's really worried about it, there are things you can do is you can have some enema cleansers. There's lots of things you can do if, if you are worried about even having some residual poop in there. And you can prepare yourself whether... Or start and- in the shower. Well, it's not just that. It's got to go inside and internally. But then uh, men and women can do that if they're worried about it. And then, then they don't have to, you know, feel bad or, or the smell or, or worry about it and just move on to the fun and exciting stuff. Now, I think anal play has become more mainstream. Is that something you're seeing too? 
I think it's an interesting question. Like, what does it mean for a sex act to become mainstream? There's definitely more articles around how to have anal sex safely, how to make anal sex feel better around butt plugs. There's definitely songs around anal sex. We're seeing it talked about more in TV and movies. Does that mean it's more mainstream? I mean, I think it does. I think it's certainly entered the sexual conversation more than maybe it has. But I still feel that sort of the conversation around anal sex isn't really happening. Like it's happening in certain spheres. We're seeing it as um, occasionally being mentioned in TV shows or movies. Um, But I'm not sure it's something that sort of the mainstream is talking about. Now, do you feel that it's still associated with gay sex? Or do you think that it's still okay for heterosexual couples to have anal sex? Oh, gosh, I hope that anal sex is not um, being associated with gay sex. I always like to say sex acts do not have sexual orientations. People do. So no matter whether it's penis going inside anus or dildo going inside anus, there is no sort of sexual orientation connotation around that sex act. So, gosh, I, I hope that that's not the case. But I, I agree that it may be the case for some folks who are worried that gay sex makes them, or anal, excuse me, anal sex makes them gay, which is, let the record show, not the case. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to step forward and say that, you know, when you put a butt plug in my ass or you put fingers in my ass, um, we haven't gotten to you using a strap-on on me. It is so pleasurable. It is such a turn-on. I mean, um, my cock gets so hard. I mean, I love when you play with my ass and then suck my cock at the same time. It's, it's so stimulating. And then when you mm-hmm. put the vibrating butt plugs in my ass and then suck my cock, it's like my cock is a vibrator, and then sometimes we fuck, and it's like you're fucking a vibrator. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. And it has nothing to do with gay or not gay it just has to do with pure pleasure mm-hmm. well that's what the, that's the whole point of saying it out loud right. and then we are right now saying it out loud so if you have that yeah. worry if the listeners are out there thinking oh my god that means i'm gay it's not the case i was gonna say i mean think about it this way the head of the penis has four thousand nerve endings that's how many nerve endings the butt has so if somebody likes their penis being stimulated of course they're gonna like their anus being stimulated so to your point it all comes down to pleasuring and stimulating, touching all of those nerve dense areas of the body. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to pegging, which is when a lady has a strap on and it has uh, a dildo attached to it, and then she she's acting as if she has a penis it's a whole nother feeling and a whole different level because now she's having the pleasure of doing the act and he's going to have the pleasure of of receiving the dildo and why haven't you fucked me with a strap on (laughs) because it's too much work (laughs) i'm lazy (laughs) guys you practice your whole life thrusting women don't know how to thrust as much as you do (laughs) i know gabrielle have you put on a strap on is it a lot of work I have. I will say that it takes, there's definitely a learning curve to strap on sex, whether it's strap on sex in a vagina or strap on sex in a butt. Um, It it is true that the dildo can feel unwieldy in the harness, especially if you start with a larger dildo. It takes some time getting used to how to move your hips and the way that move the dildo and the way you want the dildo to move. So my recommendation for folks, whether they're trying um, strap on anal or strap on vaginal sex, is for the person who's going to be wearing the dildo to literally wear the dildo, the strap-on, while they're doing chores. Just to get Uh used to how the dildo moves and how heavy it is and how their movements are going to change how that 
um, store-bought cock moves against their body. Now, I know that there's types of dildos that you can put insert into your vagina in one part and the other part sticks out for your penetration. Should we shout out to our friends at Love Honey who just sent you one? Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> yes, thank you. You could do that. Um, so I, is that better when you have a portion that goes into the vagina and the other part that's sticking out, which is what you're going to penetrate your partner with, or is, or is it better just to start off with the plain one that doesn't go into your vagina? I think anytime you're trying a new sex act, it's, it's best to change one element at a time. So rather than adding an internal portion and an external portion, start with just the external portion before advancing to the internal portion. The double-ended dildos that you're speaking of are also known as strapless strap-ons mm -hmm. or harness-free dildos. My recommendation is actually to wear those with harnesses because the way that it works is your vaginal muscles are supposed to hold on to the internal portion. That can get really tiring for your vaginal muscles. So wearing that while also wearing a harness means that when your vaginal muscles get tired, they can take a breather without requiring that you stop the sex act altogether. Oh, cool. And of course, if you're really turned on, then you're not going to um, worry too much about, you're not going to feel all that tiredness until after you're done. Uh, and again, we talk about baby steps, right? Trying a few, a few strokes and feeling how it goes and then work your way up because you're going to like not be able to walk the next day if all those new muscles have been worn out from one little sex act. So it's great just to try it. That's one of my fantasies. What's that? You, a girl doing you with a strap on and me doing the girl from behind. Oh, um, wait a second. She's doing me. Oh, and you doing her with her butt up in the air. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of coordination. Holy that's a lot moly. of coordination, <laughs> but that's why it's a fantasy for now. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely harnesses that have slits in the in the crotch right. area so uh -huh. that you could do her vaginally uh -huh. or anally. Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. right. Working on it. And I guess we should mention that if you are planning to penetrate the anus, to start with the smallest size in your harness would be a good idea, right? Yeah. And actually, I say that with vaginal sex too. Oh. You know, don't let your eyes or your ego uh -huh. be bigger than your holes. Uh -huh. There's nothing wrong with starting small and getting used to the way it feels, getting used to sort of the movements before graduating up. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is great. With fisting and anal, these kinds of discussions open like this where people are got their ears pressed to the to their speaker so they can hear it. Um, and let's just go into a little bit about sex and what is the definition of sex? For example, is foreplay sex? Is oral sex considered sex? Today's definition of sex has changed. So let's hear your young point of view on this one. So there's a sex educator, Rachel Wright, who has a definition of sex that I really like. And that is sex is any meaningful act of pleasure. Mm, period. There you go. Okay. What I like about that definition of sex is it does not make penetration the only kind of sex. Right. I feel like we're taught penis going inside of vagina is sex and that is it. And anything outside of that is to your point foreplay. And that is absolutely not the case. So foreplay is sex. I think so. I think so. You know, and I think I think the term foreplay itself is relatively problematic because the word itself means before play. Yeah. So what the word foreplay does is it makes us think that there is an act and then there's everything that we do before the act. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it creates a hierarchy of sex acts where penetrative, typically penis and vagina sex, is at the top of the hierarchy. And that just should not be the case. Agreed. So I really like Rachel Wright's definition, definition of sex because it means that anal fingering, scissoring, strap-on play, fisting, 
breast stimulation, oral sex, anal sex, all of it, all of it, all of it, Toys. all of that yeah. can qualify for sex. So then here's my next question. So when it's when it's pertaining to the genitals, and I'm going to say that generally, then it's considered sex. But so kissing, for example, which is very important for us to get aroused, that's not part of sex. I guess what I would say is I think it's up to the pleasure seekers themselves to define that. You know, I don't necessarily think it's right for me to tell somebody else what sex is. If they feel that kissing is sex, then that is sex for them. If they feel that it's not sex, then it's not. I think I think there has to be some sort of like personal agency and persons when it comes to defining sex. I just want sex to be able to be defined as anything that is pleasurable. Right. And while we're on this topic, let's make sure we talk about does sex or the sex act have to end with an orgasm? Ah, my favorite question. So I've talked about this before, but I only had my first orgasm in July. Okay, so it's November. I've, I've only been orgasming for the last five months. And even then, it's maybe only happened a handful of times. So for the majority of my sex having life, I was a human who was not orgasming. And does that mean that my sex life was any more, any less pleasurable? I mean, I like to think that it's not. Do I enjoy having orgasms now when they happen? Of course I do. But the sex that I was having before, you know, I was able to orgasm or found the way that I could come, those those sexual encounters, oh my gosh, I'm flushing just thinking about them now. We're so pleasurable. So, so no, the way that I like to think about it is that sex is the meal. So that means it's the bread basket and it's the appetizer and it's the main course and it's the dessert. And then the orgasm is the dinner mint that you take out of the little candy bowl <laughs> on your way out of it. Love that it. Is... So would you, would you if, if you didn't grab a, a, a dinner mint at the at the way out, would you say that was a bad sexual experience? Gosh, I hope not. Absolutely. I hope right? not too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, well, myself, I, I agree. I've been having sex since I was 15 years old, but I was 22 when I had my very first orgasm. So those seven mm. years, I won't say that uh, I was terrible sex. I mean, some of it was wonderful and pleasurable and some of it was crappy because, you know, when you're young, you don't always know what you're doing. But I had some wonderful sexual experiences before I actually orgasm by mistake and I didn't even know how it happened not by mistake I mean, it was not an intentional thing that a, okay let's do that because I want to orgasm it just came and just like that just came <laughs> <laughs> and so after that I was trying to figure out what made that come so I was much more curious about mm. the actual functioning of it and why I came that day and I had never come before but until then I was still enjoying sex and having a wonderful time with it so I get exactly what you're saying and I've noticed that We've been together 15 years now that wow. year over year, your orgasms are getting stronger and longer than when we first met. And I don't know why, maybe because we're getting more comfortable with our sexuality, um, because orgasms aren't the ultimate goal. But when you come, holy fuck, they are massive and they last for so long. Well, he's just referring to, I think I've had the lo the biggest orgasm ever just last week. And he's probably oh, wow. refer he's referring to that. And I don't even know how or why that particular session. It was so, my brain was just into it, I guess. And I am definitely a head case when it comes to having sex. I have to, mm. like you, de-stress, really get in the mood. And I think it was just the right place at the right time. And I had the biggest orgasm ever in my entire life. And it's one of those you won't forget. Like, I tell you, I'm not going to forget that was awesome. 
Absolutely awesome. Well, this is amazing stuff. And I know the time is flying by. We're just going to have to take another quick break and remind everybody that we are Carol and David. This is Sexy Lifestyle. And we're having a wonderful, wonderful discussion with Gabriel Cassell, where she's a sex and wellness writer. And coming up next is our favorite segment, Great Sex Matters. So stay tuned. We're not going anywhere, let alone be long. We're going to talk about where we are right now, which is Hedonism 2 Resort in Jamaica. It is one of our favorite places to hang naked on the beach. And it is the sex place on earth where you can be as mild or as wild as you like which we have done many times over the years as we mentioned earlier we are so excited to be here we escaped winter winter 2021 we're going to be here until march 26 broadcasting on location naked most of the time so come down join us for a week possibly more even be a guest on one of our podcasts yeah we feel safe here with all the pro, uh, covid protocols in place and we're loving our away office and if you can work from home you can work from hito like we are all winter long so join us as we get naked on the beach you can go to our website thesexylifestyle.com and click on the hito link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever absolutely and come see us and before we get back to our discussion with Gabriel Cassell, um, we want to take a moment to shout out to one of our sponsors, lovehoney.com and Dr. Megan Fleming. We did a show together and we had a gift basket that we were giving away to one of our loyal listeners. And the gift, the gift basket was of assorted toys for him and her and had a retail value of about $300. And our lucky winner is Sierra. And this is what Sierra had to say when she heard the news that she had won the Love Honey gift basket in her words. Wow, thank you so much. It's amazing news. I love your podcast and I'm so thankful for all the things that you're sharing and educating and sending love and pleasure into our world, which we definitely need more these in these times. So thank you for the dedication and hard work you both do for your fans. Thanks, Sierra, for the appreciation and all those wonderful, kind words. Wow, we love it and hope you enjoy your gift from Love Honey. You're... All right, we're back. This is a Sexy Lifestyle. We are Carol and David, and now it's time for our favorite part of the show where we get to talk about great sex because... Well, great sex matters, and we all deserve it. And you know we love getting down and dirty in this segment and asking some personal questions to our guest. And Gabriel, I hope you're ready. I know you've been very overt in telling us all about your sex life already. But let's say um, we're going to go back to the beginning. Let's find out about when you discovered great sex. You know, How old were you and who were you with and what did you do? Gosh, it's such a good question. I like to think about it that I am always discovering and rediscovering great sex. Um, but I will say that, you know, honestly, my, my first partner, my first partner ever, because we hadn't had a lesson in school on how our two bodies could have sex, we had to communicate so much before our clothes came off that immediately we had established between us a, a relationship, a sexual relationship in which we were constantly communicating about how to make our sex life work. And therefore, when we got into the bedroom, how to make our sex life better. So I think it really started from sort of that first sexual encounter where communication was so tops. Because when I think about the opposite of the great sex I've had, so, you know, the not so great sex, really it comes down to there being a communication lull or our communication styles just not driving in the bedroom. And Gabrielle, you know, it's very obvious that, you know, you started your sexual life, your sexual experiences, fucking and playing with women. And um, when you actually got to that point where you had sex with uh, a, ma a man, where you had a penis there, how did it feel? And was it different than, you know, doing it with a woman? Oh, my gosh, it was so different. 
Um, so I identified as lesbian. I was identifying as a lesbian. I was working at my at, at a gym, at a CrossFit gym. I do some CrossFit coaching on the side. And one day this guy walked in and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I'm going to fall in love with this human, which was a shocking thought for me to have because I had never felt that way about, about um, a, a man before. And we became best friends, eventually started dating. Six months into us dating, we waited a long time to have sort of penis and vagina sex together. You know what? This is going to sound really obvious, but it was the first time that I had had sex where I could get pregnant from the sex. And I know that sounds super obvious, but I was really aware in the moment of the fact that I was doing something. And yes, we used a condom. And yes, we we sort of took the, the necessary precautions. But I was aware of the fact that there was a greater risk of unwanted pregnancy in that moment than I had ever had in any other encounter in my life. And so when I began sleeping with penis owners or people who had the potential to get me pregnant, I had to sort of mentally overcome the fact that I was engaging in quote unquote riskier sex from a pregnancy preventive standpoint. Wow, interesting. interesting. But yeah. did it did it feel different having a penis in your vagina where the balls were actually slapping up against your pussy? Well, and it's more flexible, I think, than a, it does feel different, right, than a dildo because we know the difference between I put a dildo in and I put a beautiful cock in and, you know, I prefer not not a dildo, but how did you feel those first few times? Sure. So, you know, when when you, when I have strap-on sex, I can go to the store or my closet or my sex toy drawer and can pick out exactly what dildo that I want that night. And, you know, there are dildos that have balls on them. And so I had experienced that sensation before. What was different to me was the temperature. Mm. You know, a, mm. a biological penis has a warmer temperature yeah. than, say, a dildo does. And also it has a heartbeat. So now when I use dildos, I like to warm them up ahead of time either by putting them up against my body or dunking them in a glass of warm water and then drying it off because I do like that warm sensation. But there, there is a heartbeat to a biological penis in a way that there's just not to Absolutely. Dildo. And what about yeah. the sensation when he came? Obviously, dildos don't come. And I know, or Carol knows, when I come, there's well, that. Well, if he was wearing a condom, I don't think you would feel a difference. Yeah, yeah. So I will, exactly what Carol said. I was so aware of the pregnancy risk that we wore condoms and we also used the pullout method. So double whammy, definitely didn't want to get pregnant. Um, and so I, I can't speak to that, actually. So I do want to ask you then this a new orgasmic uh, episode that you had six months ago. Was that with a man or with a woman? It was with myself, actually. Oh, yay. For so long, I had been masturbating under my underwear. And what would I, um, I touch my clitoris externally. And what would happen is I would get too sensitive and then that would be it. Mm. And with partners, with myself, that that was what would happen. I'd be really into it, it would feel really good, and then just too sensitive. This summer, I tried masturbating over my underwear, and that felt good. And about the 10th time that I did that, I was able to orgasm. Wow. And then did you start learning that pathway to pleasure that now you realize how it feels and how it's the sensations so that you can let go and actually enjoy and get over the top? Or even even teach someone how to do it to you. Can you figure that out? Um, I would say I'm not there yet. Okay. I would say I'm still really new in my orgasm journey where I'm sometimes still the sensation sort of emerging in my body will catch me off guard and I have to, and I, and, and like, I'll be like, oh, oh, 
and then that will actually stop the wow. sensation. So wow. I'm still coming to, to the point where, where the sensation is familiar enough in my body where I'm able to allow it to happen. Wow, that... But fingers crossed, all this COVID dating will pay off and <laughs> yes. I'll find someone who I can teach that oh so fun skill to. Yeah, for absolutely. Sure. So one of your recent passions, um, I mean, I've been following you for uh, probably a year now and all the amazing things you've been writing about, but your trending passion seems to be mismatched libidos lately. Why and are you writing about it? And is it something that's out there in society that has to be worked on? So libido is basically a person's overall interest in sex. And anything that affects us affects our libido. So that can be our exercise routine, what we eat, how much we sleep, our sleep quality, the medications we're on, any sort of underlying medical conditions, our happiness, our relationship status. um, Any of those things can affect our libido. Since the beginning of the pandemic, I've been talking a lot about mismatched libidos and changes in libidos because so many of those factors in folks' lives are changing. And as a result, it's having an effect on what their libido is. So folks are, no- are noticing, my, this is typically what my, you know, I have a, this is what my libido is normally. And for the last nine months, my libido has not been that. What's wrong with me? And so because I've been getting that question a lot, I'm, my goal is to help couples realize that libidos change, and especially in response to survival stress, which is a, what a lot of folks are under in the middle of the pandemic, um, and so how to navigate libido changes and mismatched libidos, both in the pandemic and just in general. But I think it's a, by definition couples get together, and I don't think I don't think two people can have the same libido level ever. Are we close? No, we're not close at all. But I think that's normal that <laughs> most, most couples don't have matching libidos. Mm-hmm. And almost all couples have to compromise in one way or another. But what you're saying, the stress that's bringing it and making changes is what they're not understanding. Right. Yeah. And I like to have, I like to ask folks the question, you know, are your libidos actually mismatched or do you not understand the way that your body registers desire? So there's two sort of ways that our bodies register desire. One is known as spontaneous desire, and that's when an interest in sex just hits you. That's, that's the kind of sex that we see in movies. That's coat closet sex, bathroom stall sex. <laughs> that's on the kitchen counter. But there's also another type of way that our body registers sex that we don't see talked about as much in media or on TV, and that's called responsive desire. And that's when our interest in sex comes after sexy time or intimate time has already started. So that's when in, maybe your interest in sex comes after you and your partner have already been making out mm-hmm. or after your partner's been giving you a foot massage and then their hand travels a little bit further up your leg and you start to register, oh, like, I kind of want them inside me. So what I like to ask folks, you know, is, is your libido actually mismatched or are you just turning to your partner on the couch and saying, hey, honey, do you want to fuck as opposed to actually doing the work? for the partner who has more responsive desire to get them in the mood. And oftentimes the answer is, I'm turning to my partner and I'm saying, do you want to smash? As opposed to sort of slowly working your way to that point. I think that's very true. And that's certainly true with us. And I think that's something we can think about because that no comes out too often uh, when he suggests it. And I'm just like, not there because I'm not there. But I should say, well, I'm I should say, let's try, let's see if it happens. If we, yeah, yeah, 
let's just see if I'm feeling it or Why not. Why don't you give me a massage? Yeah, yeah I, I like that. I think that's something we okay, can right do. Okay, right after the show. Okay, <laughs> we'll try it. <laughs> but I think that's a very, very good point, and it's that's fantastic. something that... And uh, it's so we, real and yeah, true. It we is, definitely it should is. give it a try. So we're coming to the end of the show, and before we get to the final advice, which is going to change everybody <laughs> indefinitely... We want to talk to you, and you know we talk about Hito. It's one of our favorite places on the world, mm. and we know you were there last year. Tell us about. I was. Tell us about your trip to hedonism. Oh my gosh, I would say that I had very much a different different experience at Hito than somebody who is going with a partner or who is going in the way that you two go. So I was brought on a press trip with five other sex journalists, and we were sort of touted through the results. Uh, resort doing a variety of activities, checking out the place, participating in the night events. And so I very much attended the resort as somebody who was taking the resort in as a journalist, as opposed to a person who was there to get the most pleasure out of my personal sex life. So did you get naked? I got naked. I did. And I was surprised how good it felt. Mm -hmm. Was that the first time um, you were naked in public? In preparation for the trip, I took a naked yoga class in New York City at one of the yoga studios that was offering it, and that was definitely helpful. It got used to me being in a room of other naked folks um, and and feeling sort of like confident and comfortable being naked. Um, I would, I would, the other thing is too is, you know, I went when I had just started a monogamous relationship with someone, and so I think that that really changed the experience that I had there because my guess is most folks don't go as one half of a monogamous relationship to Hito. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> So if right. I was to go back, and I would go back, should I have an open-minded partner who is interested in going back with me, I would definitely want to bring that open-minded partner. I think I'd have a, have a much sexier time should I, should I be going with a, a sex-positive a sex positive partner. So, so um, you are an open-minded person, and you would be open to being in a relationship where you bring other people into your sex life? I think that's a good question. I think it ultimately depends on the relationship that I was in. Um, I, I do identify as a monogamous person. Um, I would be open to having threesomes or group sex if that was something that my partner and I mutually agreed on as being something that we wanted to try. But it certainly is not a make or break it for me um, in a relationship. So I think it ultimately depends on, on who I was to end up with. Cool. Now you write about all sorts of sexual topics. Does the swinging lifestyle intrigue you even to write about, even if it's not something that you've tried or something that you might want to try, but does it intrigue you as a lifestyle? Absolutely. I mean, I, I love, I think with monogamy, you know, we're, we're sort of told that that's the only way to be is to date monogamously and only have sex with your partner. And so I'm personally really interested and better understanding the ways that I have been told that monogamy is the only way to be in a relationship. So I can make sure that if I'm in a monogamous relationship, I'm actively choosing that as opposed to just winding up in that by accident. And so getting the opportunity to write about polyamory and non-monogamy and swinging sort of gives me for my personal life the skill set to be able to determine for myself whether or not monogamy is what is how I want to be living. Well, when you're ready to write the article, give us a call. We'll be more than happy to sit down and talk about it. I love it. I love it. You're, with your passion for education, it just dawns on me that that might be something that you are really made to be. Would you ever consider a career in sex education? So I am currently getting certified to be a sex educator. I'm about 100 hours into a 500-hour program. 
Um, I will say that my goal in becoming a certified sex educator is to basically be able to leverage, leverage that expertise to ask for more money for the articles that I'm already writing to be fully transparent. I do consider myself to be a sex educator because I've been writing on these topics for so long, but I think being certified will allow me to I guess, leverage that skill set in, in a different way. And so then, I think when folks think about sex educators, they're thinking about like one-on-one sessions with people. I have less interest in that, you know, today than, than writing. I really feel like I'm living my dream career, getting to write about sex all day, every day. But should that change, then I will have hopefully soon that sex, that certified um, or that sex educator certificate that would allow me to move in that yeah. direction. Yeah, certainly so, that certification will help you gain credibility in the articles that you write in the future. Exactly, so exactly. So b- before the final advice, what was your most memorable or sexiest part of going to Hedo? I mean, like I said, I was brought on the trip with five other sex journalists and we all went to the playroom together, stripped down, walked around, tested out some of the toys, and then left. And that was by far the hottest uh, moment of the trip for me. And how cool was it going in there and seeing a bunch of other people fucking? Exactly. I mean, just the sounds and the smells of the playroom them alone. Had I not see, been able to see anything, would have been enough to turn me on. Yeah. Isn't it cool that the playroom is in an open air spa where people are lying down, having sex, and you can look up and see the moon and the stars? I know, it's pretty magical. Yeah, absolutely. This is amazing. We've been having a great time on the show. It's unfortunately coming to an end, but would you like to just wrap things up with a final piece of advice? So what would you say to a couple who have mismatched libidos who want to secure a healthy sexual relationship in the long term? Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about it. If you are feeling like your libidos are mismatched or one of you has a differing interest in sex than the other one, you got to talk about it because otherwise there's going to be resentment um, or annoyance or folks may end up not feeling wanted. So in that conversation, I offer the following tips. One, consider book clubbing a book on this topic together. Emily Nagowski has a really good book called Come As You Are that has a work has some like worksheets incorporated into it that I think can be a really good book to to book club as a couple. Two, schedule sex into your calendar. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but if you can set, schedule sexy time into your calendar, it automatically gives you say an hour or two a week where you can focus on bringing each other into the moment and turning each other on. Three, think about taking turns intentionally intentionally taking turns, initiating sex. So let's assume you decide together that you want to be having sex, say, twice a week. You might say, once a week you initiate sex and once a week I initiate sex. Or you may say, this week you initiate sex and next week I initiate sex. Because often what can happen is the person with the higher libido begins to resent the partner with the lower libido because the higher libido person feels like they're always coming on to the person with the lower libido. And then the lower libido partner is resenting the higher libido partner because they're constantly having to say no. So if you can intentionally take turns switching who's initiating sex, it can help sort of um, obfuscate that sort of resentment. Wow. Love it. What amazing advice. What a great way to end a spectacular show. Gabrielle, thank you so much for sharing all that amazing information. Why don't you take a second now to tell people where they can find you, your website, social media? 
Amazing. So Gabrielle Cassell is my name and I can be found at that handle on both Twitter and Instagram. So I'm sure you will put that in the show notes. People, I don't have to spell it for them, yeah. but would love to see you on my Instagram. No problem. And of course, if we missed any of the information about you, everybody just has to go to our website, thesexylifestyle.com, where every one of our guests have their own guest page with all their information. And of course, Gabriel's going to have her guest page there too. And you can even contact her through that webpage as well. Yeah, and every week, like this week, we're learning more and more from all our sexpert guests. We hope you do too. And if you have any questions, you can always send us an email at ask at carolandavid.com. And please remember to stay safe and healthy and follow all the suggested protocols issued by your local health authorities. Wash your hands, avoid touching your face, practice social distancing, and please, please continue wearing a mask everywhere you go outside. Yes, and wear a mask. And wear a mask. (laughs) Well, that's it for our show today. Gabrielle Cassell, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. And as we do each week, we thank all our listeners for listening in week in and week out. And join us again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, and all the fun ways to spice up your sex life and live happy, healthy, and always horny. All right, that's it for today's show. Remember, stay safe and, of course, stay sexy. We're sending you lots of love and, of course, great sex. Stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 